Welcome back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Andrew, and it's always very gratifying to see the Germans use Brechtian devices <laughs> to, I, I, I would say, a very fascinating end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they really invented Brecht, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they invented him. They did. They, was, they, they, bore they gave him. birth to Brecht. Um, they did. Uh, this is Phil, your other co-host, and as far as the story of this film goes, I don't think Sonia was crazy. She was just a good journalist. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Sonia is the lead in the film that we're going to be talking about today, which is The Nasty Girl, an Oscar-nominated film from 1990 uh, for Best Foreign Language Film from Germany. Uh, and we'll be talking about that in a moment. It is a uh, request. It's a listener request from Liz. Liz is on the program with us today. Say hi to everybody. Hi to everybody. Hey. There it is. <laughs> uh, but before we talk about the movie, uh, I just want to tell you very briefly how you can find us online. You can go to our website, which is www.in-the-q, that's the letter q.com. And there you can find all of our episodes posted as well as a comment section. You can leave comments as to any feedback you have about the podcast, as well as any suggestions you have. You can come on the show, much like Liz is on the show today, to talk to us again. Again, again. won't leave us alone. Returning champion after talking about Tommy last time around. Um, And we actually invite you to make those suggestions because we like having people on to talk about the films that they find interesting or wonderful or terrible or whatever the case may be. Uh, you can do the same thing on our Facebook page by logging into Facebook and searching for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. You can like our page. It'll fill up your news feed. And you can also leave comments there, engage in the conversation. Uh, and we'll also post occasional uh, supplemental materials that will help flesh out the experience of the film. Mm. Lastly, you can find us on iTunes by searching for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And you can subscribe to our podcast. Every single one of our episodes will be delivered straight to you. And uh, life will be good. Um, Hefty promise. Yeah, Andrew, I mean, I assure you, we're not doctors. I said life will be good. All right. (laughs) Glad to be on the show. Fine. Okay. You heard the man. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Guys. It's just like in this movie. I'm telling you not to talk about it, okay? <laughs> if you just don't talk about it, everything will be fine. That could be a number uh, of movies. Well, but especially this movie. Um, this movie, uh, as I alluded to earlier, it is The Nasty Girl, directed by Michael Verhoeven. Uh was released in 1990. was nominated for an Academy Award in that year, for which I was surprised to see. Mm. Uh, I didn't know that going into this film. In fact, Liz, when you recommended it, uh, I had no knowledge of it at all. Um, which it was a nice sort of way to approach this. So can you give us an idea of why you recommended it? I'm, I'm very glad that you did because it's a fascinating film. Uh, but why you recommended it and sort of what you like or dislike about it? Well, I've been meaning. I actually hadn't watched it before I felt I screened it just for this episode, but um, it's one I've been nice. meaning to watch. And I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about German films 
in the context of when it was made. So a lot of the things, the in the what is what's the word I'm looking for the the tools that they used and the there's a word for it the the cinematic <laughs> grammar that they employed well, and the affectations and things I wasn't yeah. I didn't know if that was a shtick of Verhoeven is that how you pronounce the director's name yeah Verhoeven um, yeah I don't know if that was his idea or his little gimmicks or if that was a whole Germanic trend of the time so I kind of went into it fresh as well from a I'm not a you know I'm not a cinephile quite as much as the others that I am speaking with today. But I really like the story of a, I like the story of rabble rousers and, and the fact that this is based on a true story. I actually did a ton of research on the gal that this movie's based on before I watched the movie. So I could kind of see like what they did with the story insofar as, you know, artistic liberties and whatnot. But I like troublemaker mm-hmm. stories, especially if they're young gals who are plucky and, overturning the establishment and that she is in this film uh the uh, protagonist is uh, a young lady by the name of sonia who we see at various different stages in her life uh but the majority of the film centers around uh the idea that she is uh, a good student who is uh who wins a contest uh, like a national contest an essay contest uh that uh where she is given a, a subject to research and uh and this goes well for her and she is well regarded by all the people in the town and then when the same opportunity comes around a second time she chooses a subject that the town would rather not have anything to do with which is researching the nazi history of the town and it specifically uh, what they did or did not do with the Jews in this town. Mm-hmm. And the town itself has done a very good job of repressing that information for very good reason. And, uh, and by investigating it, she opens up a lot of old wounds. The town sort of goes apeshit, <laughs> <laughs> for, for lack of a better term. Ape, ape and yeah. ape it, yes. <laughs> and uh and it's the the probably the most distinctive thing about it is that as you say it's told in a very unique way as i alluded to in my opening it it's it's very brechtian in the way that it presents a lot of stuff there's a lot of rear projection with uh staged scenes that are clearly on a stage mm-hmm. uh uh, what it appears to not even like a stage perform production, even with right. the scenes that didn't have a scrim behind them. Like it very, I the whole time I felt like I was just watching a stage adaptation. Yeah, yeah, it was very theatrical in almost every respect, including breaking the fourth wall and talking directly to the audience. I mean, the film almost starts with her addressing the audience, uh, us seeing. Uh, boom microphones in a lot of the shots uh, mm-hmm. as people are addressing the camera directly, but it's it it isn't within the context of the camera being controlled by Sonia and interviewing these people. It's just these people expressing their thoughts or feelings directly to the camera. Uh, I'm speak, thinking specifically of a, a scene where her husband uh is addressing the camera and, and venting his frustrations with Sonia mm-hmm. directly to the camera. And it's, it's a very Brechtian 
device. You know, it's a very Brechtian moment. It's meant to kind of separate us from the the action in a way. It's it's very interesting. Right. Another way that we could sort of describe the the style of the film is this this distancing effect that the filmmakers are are performing with the film vis-a-vis the audience, and um, at sometimes the distancing is it it creates a a whole new idea that one may not even think of such as there's there's a couple scenes inside of a, a bar um mm-hmm. and in, in the bar where there's all these drunken revelers you know and it's a very short scene but there's some 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 narration that that kind of tells us what we need to know uh there's a rear projection of, of a, a very kind of graphic uh crucifix image yeah, and yeah. A very kind of With, emaciated uh... yeah Jesus's head bent down and like craning down yeah. like below his shoulder line. It's, it's really it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, it actually reminded me of one of my favorite pieces of art, which is a triptych called the Isenheim altarpiece, which is a wonderful piece of art, and I highly recommend everybody take a look at it. Uh, but it's this very sort of uh, expressive painting of Jesus on the cross with his fingers all gnarled and twisted and. You know, just his body all just in in clear pain. It was it was a, it was a, an early example of departure from the kind of angelic depictions that had come before it. Yeah, um, definitely. And there's yeah. also um, a a moving image of a slumbering lady justice in the courtroom who yeah. actually kind of rouses and and uh, and moves before her very eyes. That was actually one of my favorite parts of the film because it was suggesting that until Sonia had brought this case, she was, she was suing the city to release records that she was being kept from, you know, yeah. she, for, to do her research and uncover the Nazi past of this small town. She was being kept from the records. So she sued the town. And so the courtroom scene starts and lady justice is sleeping. <laughs> and then she wakes up, just as they're delivering the verdict that she's allowed to but the you know, symbolism see the, records. the symbolism like that like while it kept the film light like the film could have been super dark given the oh yeah the story yeah. and what the story precursor had all been about like things like that kept it light but it seems so on the nose and over the top. I was wondering, that's one of those things I didn't know. Like, I don't know enough about German film to be like, oh, that's just a German device. Or if that was a Verhoeven decision, like even down to, you know, when she's going back to that guy at the archives to try to get the documents and the desk in every shot keeps tilting, like they keep tilting the angle so that he's dominant Mm -hmm. and they change the lighting slightly. Like it was just so on the nose. And then obviously, you know, every scene, where she's digging into the past, that's when you get the backdrop of the scrim projection with the black and white. It's always when she's digging into the past, something Mm -hmm. having to do with the past, juxtaposition of past, future, present, you know. But the the symbolism seemed almost comically on the nose, and I didn't know if that was just from my personal perspective or if that was intentional. I think uh, comical is good in this film. I think... Perhaps what's even more remarkable about the story of this is not the the distancing that it employs, but it's the humor that it employs. Because yeah, German films absolutely. are not known for their humor, <laughs> uh, and this is a very funny movie. And uh, leading for the first like forty five, fifty minutes or so, it's just nothing but humor. It's really right. funny. It's like 
It could be any one of an American comedy that, that one may have seen. And, and it would totally just kind of fall in line. And then it gets into really dark places where there's terrorism, bombing, um, murdering defenseless pets. And, yeah. uh, and then that's, that's really you know what the point is, I feel, is the point is how this town was trying to suppress the truth. And then this plucky young woman would stop at nothing to uncover that truth. And, she, and, and it's also about what cost was it to her to, to go through all that pain. Yeah, the comedy absolutely worked in this case because it set her own tone. Like, even though she wasn't the primary narrator, it like the musicality of allowed it. The musicality allowed it to continue. Does that make sense? Like her well, tone, yeah, yeah. I think set the, through the comedy and the yeah, the reenactment, not the reenactment necessarily, but the but the the rear projection and that really great moving shot that they kept cutting back to where the 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 living room is like moving through yeah, the street yeah it's on the back of a yeah i love that and, and it's like it. as they're as they're hearing like the public's uh, opinion of them they're out in public as they're right. playing, as and they're, they're very naked and vulnerable and yeah i thought that was really effective but it, but that's kind of light i feel that's kind of a light uh em- employ of symbolism so i feel like it is a comedy it's it's a drama too but it's consistently a comedy and i feel like the, the the parts that may seem on the nose, I feel I feel like that they work because because of the lightness that they're trying to maintain throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I absolutely think that's true. Um, and I think that also what helps this work as well as it does, not only comedically but also helps it sort of when it needs to be serious, allows it to be serious, is the fact that the actors in this film, to a, a person in the film play it straight. I mean, they play it very seriously. Even in these scenes, when you are you're in a, a a very staged setting with a rear projection and you know what is clearly them on a a stage or on a set, uh, they they play their roles just as seriously as if this were you know if they were on location shooting something, right? Um, it doesn't waver. It doesn't. Uh, nobody, nobody drops it. The uh, Lena Stoltz, who is the or Stoltze, who is the the lead, who plays Sonia in the film, she is playful in her representation of Sonia, and often is addressing the camera, you know, and and giving us knowing looks, and you know, doing all these kinds of things that kind of. Uh, you know, allow us to love her and her sort of intrepid quest, right? Uh, but but it's never it's never not se- like when it needs to be serious, she's serious, right? Um, I'm thinking of that scene when uh, her husband is like the two children are crying and she's working at her typewriter and she's you know sitting there like like or she's researching and she's like I'm researching like why don't you give the baby a bottle and like it's it's a very serious tense scene and it's you know flows right into anything you know another scene that that where she might be you know winking at the camera and kind of uh giving us us the audience a little hey i know what i'm doing here and can i just add like her as an act former actor her physical work in the film Mm -hmm. like she very clearly transitioned from, you know, I don't know, 15, 14 year old girl to grown woman. 
and it was amazing just in her physicality and in her stride and when she comes walking up to the camera at the beginning of the movie and starts talking like oh we're in her show right now like she's taking us for a ride right now and you don't question her and you don't even when i don't know like even that kind of wry ongoing trend of her whistling at the camera like Mm -hmm. i don't know she just commanded uh the tone of the movie and made it hers despite all this exterior noise from the village. And, and that was like just such a subtle thing. I wish she'd gotten more recognition here at the Oscars. Not that the Oscars are the end all be all, but I wish she could have gotten nominated for something because she was amazing in it. Yeah. She was truly excellent. And I actually have a longer history with this film than you guys do because I saw it when it came out on video in 1991 or two. Um, wow. Because my family was very progressive and they liked to rent video cassettes of films that you know were sort of in the vanguard or, or you know movies that were popular in the art house circuit. So um, I saw snippets of Last Temptation of Christ at home. Um, I saw The Nasty Girl, and since also my dad is half German, and we spent some time in Germany visiting his uh, grandmother, um, it was also kind of a hot topic for for us, for our family. And, of course, when you're 10 or 11, you can't really appreciate the full scope of this film, but there's certain things that that will stay with you. And this movie is full of moments that, that I watched as a kid and then later I watched it again in high school in German class and these moments like when she bounds up the stairs of the Eiffel Tower and then she gets to the top and then she just turns around and looks into the camera and starts whistling that was a really sort of a haunting moment as well as her flashback being a child and uh, taking the the platter of cooked you know uh, fish and dumping it over the railing into the, yeah, the yeah, stream yeah. behind her house to set it free. Um, yeah, fish, fish want to swim. Exactly, fish want to swim. So I, I'm actually, I, I feel a certain familiarity with this movie too, and especially with that uh, tree that that's kind of frames the film. Um, yeah. Sort of, it's it's an interesting idea, a tree where people come to to pray and to worship and to, you know, wish for their dreams to be fulfilled and um this movie ends on a very ambiguous note i would say um yeah and in fact it sort of ends in the middle of things yeah uh the ending comes rather suddenly and i did not expect it to be over well if you learn that three years after the film was made she did in fact flee the country it becomes Mm. almost prophetic that she just said fuck everybody and went and hid, hid in a tree Right, with her child, right. like, kind of what she did in real life, sort of, not in a tree, but yeah, <laughs> in in another country, yes. right. Yeah. Another thing, though, that I really love is I'm a big fan of, and I'm fascinated by movies that are narrated by one of the characters, like a first person narrator, yeah, and yeah. and especially when a woman is doing it, I find it really fascinating just to be to sit in on a story that is being told directly to me by a woman because I don't see that that often. I can think of like, you know, Fight Club is, is a great example of what I'm saying from a, a, a different perspective. But um, to sort of, it gives the illusion that that Sonia is running the show. 
is she really running the show? We could debate that. After all, this movie was written and directed by somebody else. But her character addresses the camera directly and takes us throughout this path. So it does fascinate in that regard for me to sort of to sort of see you know where where she's going to take me where is she leading this adventure and what do i have to learn about it valid point i'm going to my two favorite movies and they're both narrated by someone other than the protagonist even though the main character is a woman which movies are those uh chocolat which is narrated by the woman's daughter and then amelie which is narrated by just some dude off in the ether somewhere but this is yeah. this is a film that's narrated by the protagonist, right there looking you in the face, telling you what's going on. Yeah, and it's she's female. That's a really good call. And the whole movie is a very heightened sense of reality. I was I was just I I actually I get a good feeling when I see a, a shot in a film that is cinematic. Like uh, so much of the film was shot with these really broad, wide-angle lenses. And it, mm-hmm. and, it, and it just exaggerates everything. It exaggerates the way things look and feel. And you could tell that it was so well planned out and so carefully controlled because the timing of the shots uh, fit so uh, neatly with the timing of the narration. And I could tell mm-hmm. that so much thought and craft was being put into it. And it just it makes for what I consider to be a really fascinating experience to watch. Yeah, yeah, and actually, uh, what you were just saying, Liz, and Phil, for that matter, um, speaking about the narrations and speaking about the structure of the film and speaking about the sort of tight, uh, the tight, sort of uh, how tightly woven it all is, um, it actually makes me think of one of my favorite films, one of my many favorite films, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia, Uh which is also a film that has, is narrated by an external not by one of the characters in the film itself, but by Ricky Jay, <laughs> uh, and uh, and uses sort of a heightened reality, right? There, there are events in it that happen that are kind of outside of the 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 actual diegesis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I I I wonder, like sometimes those things go over really well with audiences, and sometimes they just fall totally flat. But I found this film to be Riveting. I found it to be uh, like I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. Yeah, and I think there's also a certain tradition in in German film that goes beyond Brechtian that this film also embraces. Because it mm-hmm. reminded me of a movie that I like a lot, uh, The Tin Drum, which I know is not <laughs> one of your favorite films. Um, it is not. But it, the way the way that both of these German movies portray childhood as being very kind of operatic at times or, or grotesque at times. Um, I mean, it gets really grotesque in the tin drum, much more so than the nasty girl, but still uh, it like nothing is, is terribly like realist in the nasty Mm -hmm. girl. Uh, It's, it all kind of has a heightened almost surrealness about it. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I hate that it has, such an unfortunate name. Uh, well, you know, I actually, I, unfortunate translation. Maybe I looked at the translation, and the German name is Das Schreckliche Mädchen. Number one, I always thought it was weird that the word for girl in German was neuter in gender, but I'll get over that. Anyway, <laughs> Schreckliche is the adjective, which 
they translate for American audiences as nasty, the nasty girl. Like, whoa, that sounds like a movie I might want to see. It's about a nasty girl. In actuality, <laughs> the Schrecklicke translates more accurately to terrible or dreadful or awful. Right. You right. think that Which was done, cl- like, deliberately as a bit of a titillating... I don't doubt it. ...attention grabber? I'm sure it was. Uh, yeah, almost certainly. I mean, like, you got to figure... Well... I mean, there was I was going to say, this it. is... When did Sex, Lies, and Videotape come out? The year before, 1989. Yeah. Right. So, the, like, that started off the both independent and foreign film kind of blitz of the 90s, right? Yeah. And so they were in a mindset, the, the studios who were distributing these films were in the mindset that the, you know, they had to, like, these were adult films yeah. for adult thinkers and adult audiences. Well, guess who distributed both The Nasty Girl and Sex, Lies, and Videotape? Miramax. Miramax. The, the new yeah. up-and-comers who were really yep. determined to make a name for themselves. Yeah, yeah. This became part of the Weinstein formula, right? Get those Oscar <laughs> nominations, man. Get those Oscar yeah. nominations. Through fear and intimidation or whatever it took. <laughs> hey, it worked. It's still working. Weinstein Company gets uh, nominations almost every year now. I have to admit, they get the best movies. Um, I know almost always I want to see their films when they come out every December. Yeah. Yeah. For a little while, there there was a little fight there going on. In 2007, it was Paramount Vantage had the the edge over Weinstein. Right. But that that was right when Weinstein was sort of coming into being. Another funny sort of bit of trivia about the nasty girl yeah yeah. Uh, the director michael verhoeven is the son of german film director paul verhoeven not to be confused with dutch film director paul verhoeven (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say because michael verhoeven was like born in the (laughs) 30s or something yeah i know and paul verhoeven the dutch filmmaker of classics such as basic instinct and robocop yeah, I was thinking that uh, sounded familiar when I googled it. I was like, "Wait a second, this came uh-huh. from the same like family." Okay, so it's not good to know. Good to know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did think just to jump in on the sex lies of videotape and to like, I am always a fan of female nudity when it's super powerful, like the statue of her, and I yeah. like. The statue of her, and then she was just swimming in kind of like a moment where she was free again, and she was really mm-hmm. happy and comfortable in herself. And there was, like, it was so refreshing and tastefully done, and it wasn't, it wasn't done for, it wasn't done for anything except for celebrating this woman in all of her facets. And you guys, yeah, it see, wasn't exploitative at all yeah and even you know even in sexual scenes when a woman is enjoying herself like that's one thing but this was a woman really just owning who she was independently which was what the whole movie was about Mm -hmm. and i really appreciated that like i applaud the nudity in this film yeah definitely yeah it it wasn't it it, and the nudity in this film was never a uh, a result of sexualization or of any of that kind of stuff. It was just representative of her as a human woman asserting herself and being powerful. And it was necessary. Like I thought it was a necessary use of nudity, but it was, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly what you just said. Like, I don't think it was 
thrown in there just to throw it in there. It was a very powerful statement. Yeah. Yeah. I, I concur with both of your opinions. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. Good, good, good. Um, in fact, I was, I was very glad to see that the film itself didn't uh, linger on any of the sort of potentially troublesome sexual, tr- troublesome to a modern audience, I, I would say. The Lolita uh, sort thing. Of sexual, yeah, yeah the, her teacher seduces her, but, but later becomes her husband and they have a life and a family and, you know, and uh, seem to be reasonably okay with one another, but she becomes single-mindedly obsessed with this noble cause right and uh and him out. he he can't deal with that he can't deal with her was, i wonder how true to life that is like i wonder if it was one of those not to call him a pedophile but i wonder if it was one of those he was attracted to her well like in most older man pedophile situations like he's attracted to her because she's unassuming and weak and not powerful and then the minute she started standing on her own two feet and coming into her own who and obviously, like, getting your house bombed, that's, all right, fine. I could see where he'd have some problem with her. But <laughs> instead of, like, sticking it out with her, I wonder if that's really what caused him to sever ties and, like, all right, I'm done. Because he left the kids with her. Yeah, well, I it think that's actually... It wasn't a safety actually... thing. It was like a, no, I'm finished. Yeah, I think that was telegraphed pretty early on because uh, if you recall, when he comes back and she very passionately embraces him and kisses yeah. him... He's he says he stops her there, when when he leaves, he goes away for a couple of years and he leaves her. He kisses her a very chaste kiss and tells her of, she's engaged and says, you're now engaged. There was no I'll asking. be back in a few years. Yeah. And it was like, OK, but then she goes off to Paris and she, you know, learns things and, you know, has a life. And then when he returns, she passionately embraces him with this sort of wonderful kiss which i kind of love the way that she would initiate all of her kisses with her eyes wide open looking directly into his eyes like she would not even she wouldn't even close her it was i thought it was wonderful but uh she embraces him with this symbolism right going into it with your eyes wide open (laughs) symbolism (laughs) and but then he you know he, he steps back and he says is this my sonia is this like, you know, are you still pure, essentially? <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it's, I think that's telegraphing early on that he isn't prepared to deal with a self-realized woman who is uh, able to pursue uh, something that is of great interest and passion for her, you know? Um, I'm not sure that anybody in this movie is ready for Sonia to do any of that. (laughs) No, I would say that that's uh, true. Except for that one old guy who stands up in that town meeting and he's like, screw, (laughs) screw these old Nazis. (laughs) And her grandmother. I like that guy. And her grandmother. And her grandmother. grandmother, Who's 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 awesome. Telling everybody to be just like her. Like you should have, what's the exact quote? Like it's aspire to be like Sonia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and but, then Sonia has that uh, symbolic embodiment of her grandma too, when she's like chopping wood, and she's all of a sudden like, which is another great like kind of uh, sort of silly comedic touch, uh, which man it also kind of keeps the the buoyancy level up while you're watching the film. It keeps it all kind of fun in the midst of some serious stuff. 
Well, yeah. and I think it all, the real symbolism came when even her parents had been based, I mean, standing beside of her and like they were the ones that helped clean up the rubble after the explosions. And then at the very end, when even her mom runs up and slaps a hand over her mouth. And that was like the moment she's like, I'm done with everybody. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, Liz, for recommending this. I'm really glad that I saw this movie because I, I really found it to be very fascinating. And I don't, as I said, I don't know that I ever would have, I don't know that I ever would have made my way around to this movie had it not been recommended to me. Um, so thank you. I think it's a, a really interesting, really excellent movie. Uh, it's very interestingly and well told. Uh, I thought it was I as delightful it. as it could be for a movie about the Holocaust and its aftermath. Like it was the most delightful Am I allowed to say that? That sounds awful. The That's... most delightful Nazi-related movie. Yeah, I know. Like the, but it was like it was such a pleasure to watch. Well, there's also the producers, right? Right. Springtime for Hitler. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> pleasurable in a different way, but still pleasurable. Indeed, indeed. Um, just a, I think just an excellent movie. Yeah. All, all around, I think it was really interesting. Um, I would agree. So, no argument here fantastic thank you liz uh for coming on the show again uh we hope that you will give us more recommendations so we can have you back yeah thanks for having me back yeah absolutely anytime anytime um yeah we will be talking about the brand new film in our next episode well not brand new i guess at this point in time just go don't backpedal (laughs) yeah no it's it's called Sicario, and it's a movie starring Emily Blunt and Benicio del Toro and Josh Brolin. It came out a little while ago, uh, but uh, it did get pretty rave reviews, and we've had a couple of our listeners say that they wanted to hear us talk about it. So we're going to be talking about that relatively new release, Sicario, for our next episode. We hope you'll join us for that. Thanks for listening. Peter saying.